Welcome to the With Beth podcast. I'm Beth Levis, creator of Edible Collagen Brand by Beth. Like so many of us, I've always been intrigued by stories of empowerment. Whether that story is about career, business, a health challenge, or a more personal journey. I deeply admire those who can overcome obstacles and come out on top. So please join me as I speak to some incredible Australians who have inspiring experiences to share. Today I'm chatting with Shane Watson. Shane is one of Australian cricket's finest all-rounders, representing his country 298 times and a dominating force in the T20 competition. However, in September 2015, Shane was contemplating retirement. He was only 34, but was struggling with form following a tragedy the year before. Mentally, he was in the darkest period of his life. But after starting work with world-renowned mental performance coach, Dr. Jacques Delaire, Shane discovered the keys to a consistent mental process that gave him access to his extraordinary skills once more. And with all that knowledge in 2022, he launched his book, Winning the Inner Battle, which explores the mental side of cricket through his own experiences. Welcome, Shane. How are you? Great. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming. Such an honour to have you. Thank you. Your sporting history is formidable, to say the least, and you are an inspiration to all young cricketers. From what I understand, it's a path that hasn't always been smooth sailing, though, or easy, and has led you to some mentally tough times. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, there's a lot of different challenging times, but that's, um, I suppose, if you want to push the limits of how good you could be and get closer to reaching and achieving your goals, then there's always going to be some tough times that come along. There certainly were a number of different times, especially through the middle of my career with my injuries that I had. I was constantly injured, not her- like horrendously bad injuries, but just injuries which just kept popping up at the really at the wrong times, which just um, became very frustrating. It got to a stage where I was I always just wanted to be the best cricketer I could be, so, which meant being an all-rounder. Yeah. Um, it got to a stage because of my injuries, I got told at one stage that I should stop bowling. I should give up bowling because my body couldn't handle the bowling part of, of my game. I've never been able to take no for an answer. So I just want to know, give me information that I can then try and get closer to hopefully not letting that be an issue. Not giving um, up. Absolutely. So um, that was a like, that was 2007. That was a tough time that to work through. But So that was one time. And then the other time really was around just the tragic event of, of Phil Hughes getting killed on the cricket field because that like just a generation of cricketers just got really affected in a big way. And like first and foremost, his poor family because he was the really the, the center of and the energy and his energy force in his family as well. Just the, the person he was and the, the caliber of cricketer he was as well. So that had just uh, such a huge seismic sort of shift in, in world cricket um, after that tragic event. So then you know, I personally was sort of then had to work through some issues that I was going through from a performance point of view in particular. So um, I imagine that would affect anybody, not just an athlete, you know, something like a life tragedy like that. But what you're saying is it affected your performance as well. Is that right? Oh, it certainly did. Yeah. It's it from a batting perspective, it was the first time where I ever thought that you could get like that you could actually get killed playing. I always knew growing up that if you get if you get in a bad position, you could get hit and get badly hurt. But it wasn't like, something that entered your mind. Oh, never. No. And that was also yeah. as a as a batter, one of my strengths was facing fast bowling. Mm-hmm. I was an opening batter. Um, so facing the fastest bowlers was one of my strengths. And part of that was because I was fearless. Right. But as soon as that tragic event happened, then th- that fearless, <laughs> fearless um, that nature where it vanished. And that was where I had to, I went through a 
performance-wise a tough time over over nine months. I felt like I'd lost my skill because that um, mindset had shifted so significantly. So, but fortunately, like like throughout my life across the board, I feel very fortunate that certain people have just come into my life out of nowhere so many times that just had such a profound impact on my life. And I know yeah. a lot of people, it, well, not everyone has those opportunities, but maybe because my eyes have always been open as well. But I've just been so lucky throughout my whole life since I was a kid, really, that just the right people at the right times came along when I really needed a helping hand and gave their time and insights and knowledge to me to help me along the way. So I guess that really brings me into my next question, which is the correct timing and your willingness to try and find answers and try and find resolutions to the problems that you were experiencing, both mentally and with your performance. And then in 2015, after contemplating retirement, you started working with Dr. Jacques Delaire. Did I pronounce that Jacques correct? Jacques Delaire, yep. Yes. Who's a mental performance coach. What did this work involve and how did it empower you to correct the mindset or the negative mindset and uh, turn your performance around? Yeah, so um, it was a. This was another another situation where just so randomly someone came into my life just out of nowhere, and it was actually Will Power, who's an IndyCar champion. He actually just won this year's IndyCar drive. He's he's an Aussie guy who's based wow. who's from Toowoomba, which is about an hour west of uh, Ipswich, where I grew up. And I was randomly at a Dally M's the awards awards. You know, I've never been there before, never been since to present an award. And I was sitting next to Will Power and just talking about how cool it is to be a racing car driver because the that year he just won. His first IndyCar championship. Unbelievable. And his name is also know, yes, awesome. Yes, yeah, no, that's right. <laughs> it really doesn't get any better than that. His <laughs> parents did a good job there. Yes. Uh, it was never going to be anything but a high achiever, <laughs> we had hoped. Um, yeah, he, that, that was written into his stars <laughs> yeah. from the beginning, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. Um, so I was sitting next to him and he ended up like opening up pretty quickly around his challenge, like real challenges he was, he was having right that moment in time because one of his best mates was killed in a race only a month before that conversation that I had with him. I just and can't imagine was, that. Like, yeah. yeah. No, exactly. So it's everything just- everything changed for him as well. He had fear that that was going to happen to him. His wife wouldn't watch him race. His family wouldn't watch him race because they had the same fear as well. So, But he was still getting in the car. And so I said, well, how are you doing? And he but said, he was well, getting I've got- in the car with the fear. Oh, he's still, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And his body was shutting down. He said, I've got like bad adrenal fatigue. My body's really shutting down, but still I'm getting in the car and I've, I'm trying to work my way through it. And I said, well, who are you working with? Is you working with anyone? And he said, yeah, this is mental skills guru from the US who's based in the US, whose background's more so in like F1, IndyCar, NASCAR, fighter pilots, special forces, who's been doing it for 40 years, who just knows how to give you the information that you need to navigate your way through in a time like this. Um, in, and mental skills in general. So I connected up with Jacques Delaire, Dr. Jacques Delaire, and um, then after a half an hour conversation, I was booked my flight to go over to see him in North Carolina and spend two days just going through his program. And it just it, it changed my life. Right. It changed my life. It, the information, for the first time, the information was so simple to understand. No one had taught me this information before. And we, in Australian cricket, I was in the pathways from in Australian cricket since I was 12 or 13, whether that was in Queensland and then all the way through um, Australia, like Cricket Australia. And no one had taught me this really simple information for me to understand, to not just work on my technical skills, but work on my mental skills in parallel as well. So then I could just bring the best version and bring that 
technical skills I had every time I stepped out. And as well as that, take all the pressure that I'd put on myself off me. So I had more chance of one, enjoying myself, but also performing more consistently and, and better. So after those two days with Jacques Delaire, I knew I could turn things around straight away instead of feeling like I'd lost my skill and I was going to retire to go, oh yeah, I can definitely turn this around. And then within six weeks of just implementing these new mental skills habits, then things things change. And that was the end of 2015. And then from 2016 on till the, I retired in 2020, I had some of my best performances that I had throughout my career. And that's so really, yeah. oh, absolutely. Because it's just, it's so simple to understand. I didn't, Jacques knew nothing about cricket. All he knew how to do is simplify pretty complex information that you normally only hear it in a complex, in a complex way from sports psychologists, yeah. which makes it very hard to decipher how I can use that for me in a really simple way. How can I create the right mental environment to access all the skills that I've worked so hard and that are so ingrained in me? So things changed and then I knew how powerful this information was because I just was re- was reinforcing it, like tripping up. I was troubleshooting as I was going over those next four years of playing as well, working through how I could use it and continue to use it. Were you in contact with him during this period? Were you, when you had some downfalls, you were able to contact him and say, okay, this happened and you were processing it with him. Okay, you were, were meant to work on this, but you forgot to work on that, for instance. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. He continued to mentor me, but also at the same time, I started a business with him as well. Oh, okay. Yeah, because I knew this information was not here in Australia as a starting point. Yes. I knew I'd been around a lot of different sports people and a lot of different people and no one had ever talked about this, this information. So I ended up starting a business with him called Beyond Performance, where we'd work with corporates and some sporting to AFL teams and sporting teams as well, which meant by doing those and coaching that as well, meant that I'd started to just learn that information even from a deeper layer as well. So that was a re- another reinforcement of hearing Shark talk about it. And then it would trigger a few different thoughts to go, okay, I can use this in this way, which I'm not at the moment. So in that way, is a perfect storm to be able to learn that information, like deeply like ingrain that in my psyche and understand exactly how it works, yeah, from a cricket perspective, but from a life perspective as well. Well, that's what I was going to ask you is everything you're talking about, you applied to cricket, mm. but now you've started another company where you're applying it in the corporate world. Yep. So what you're saying, and, and I guess this is also the summary of the, the book you've just released, Winning the Inner Battle. You know, it does focus on cricket and mindset and cricket, but can that be applied? to basically anyone, whether you're an athlete, not an athlete, in the corporate world, not in the corporate world. Is that what you would say is really applicable to the entire community? It certainly is because the, the information is universal. It, it goes, it crosses across every aspect of your life that you want to perform in, which everyone wants, is performing all the time. Correct. Whether that's yeah. you as a, as a partner, whether that's you um, as a parent, whether that's you as a kid, you, everyone wants to be the best they can possibly can be. No one wants to suck. No. Right. <laughs> no one wants to have poor results. You don't so, wake up thinking that. No. no exactly. So, um, so yes, this book is. There's cricket examples that I, that I give to just um, connect the dots a bit more. But the information before the examples, the cricket examples, is universal information, just mental skills information that you can tap into yourself in whether that's for you individually, but you as in in a team environment as well to be able to understand just how to unlock the best version of you every time. And that's in the end, that's all we're trying to do is human beings is trying yes. to understand how much, what technical or what information do I need to learn? And then how can I bring that every time that I need to perform? So by a man, that's the mental skills aspect. How can I get out of my own way to be able to access all that knowledge and skill that I have inside of me? And that's what the book's all about. So obviously about positive mindset, is that where Jacques start, began? Or how did he begin with the process in terms of turning your mindset around? I'd really love to hear mm. that. What were the basic principles there? And uh, what are those principles in a nutshell that we should be applying to our everyday life? For me, it's about correct mindset. 
correct mindset. Getting rid of of the negative mindset and remaining positive or? Well, it's the correct mindset. Okay. So most of the time it is positive. It certainly is positive. And positive is better than negative, but it's the correct one. It's what the right mindset is for you and the right thought. Okay. So personalizing it for each individual. Exactly. Yeah. So positive can be great, but it might be the wrong wrong thing. It might be the wrong positive thought that you need at that moment in time. For example, um, I'll talk from a cricket perspective. It's, I could be positive and say, oh, I'm just going to, I'm going to take this guy down no matter what, which is a positive thought, but it might be the wrong time to do that. So my thought should be, well, these are the conditions. This is more what I'm actually, I should do right now. So I have to, the correct thought is actually a different thought. So it's just understanding what the correct thought is for you. So really simply, it came down to Probably the simplest way. There's a lot of like little details around like your conscious mind, what the function of it is, your unconscious mind and what the function of that is as well. The really simple thing around the conscious mind is you are in control of your conscious mind. And the probably the thing that really jumped out to me the most is around mind chatter, around that little bird that sits on your shoulder and is talking to you all the time. That's a conscious mind function and you are in control of that bird on your shoulder. Yes. The little, that inner dialogue, you are actually in control of it if you want to take control of it and exercise that control. But that's the hard part is taking control that's of right. it. That's right. And understanding that I am in control and then I have to use that understanding to then redirect the script of what is being said, which is hard, which Very is hard, hard at times. And it takes a lot of discipline and a lot of work, a lot Correct. of, a lot of, to turn it into a habit, to understand and listen in to what's being said, to then redirect it to the right thoughts at the right time. Like, don't make a mistake. Don't stuff up. Don't do that. It's actually grabbing hold and go, when am I my best? I, that thought doesn't come at all. So you redirect it to this is what I need to think right now. Right. Because the fear of failure and the self-doubt, I'd imagine it's something we all feel, you know, I'm not an athlete, but I feel that, you know, even today, but that would be something that almost every athlete I would say without the correct mindset coaching would be feeling, whether it's the day before or on the day of. So I guess, you know, you've spoken to me some about some of the tools in terms of that, but you know, what's your biggest giveaway in terms of really harnessing and getting rid of that negative chatter and getting rid of that uh, bird on your shoulder that you're talking about and making sure that, okay, yes, you run through what your personal mindset needs to be, but how do you in the heat of the moment realize, okay, I'm negative right now and I need to turn this around? Yeah. Step one is just listening into what's being, what's going on, what that internal dialogue is. The most powerful thing out of this whole process for me was really deeply defining my best performance. So going going back to the time where I was at my absolute best, where I just had a performance that I like dreamed of having. Yes. And it's actually going back and then deeply defining that from a more so from a mental from a mindset perspective. Yeah, how were you feeling that day? What was exactly. running through your mind? Yes, okay, That's it. I can understand. Because mo- most of us and I certainly didn't do this. Yes. I never deeply defined what the best version of me was. No, yes, you, from a technical you, point yeah. of view I had because I'd I'd worked over and over again. I was always looking to get better from a technical perspective. If I was had a weakness, I was always trying to work on my weaknesses and and just hold on to my my strengths that I had. But from a, a mind, mindset perspective, I had no idea what I was trying to chase when I went out to play. Right. I normally if things went well, and I had days, uh, a number, a lot of days that did go well, it was more the circumstance around me put, made me fall into that right mindset. It wasn't me directing me to go, this is the best version of me that I'm chasing. So this is when I walk out to walk out to play. This is where I need to get to. And this is how I'm yes. going to get there. And because you didn't process it afterwards or analyze it afterwards, you never actually wrote down that winning formula, <laughs> that mindset formula, and yep. you weren't able to replay that. That's it. Yeah. Until you got the right coaching. Yep. It's really fascinating, actually. Like I said, it's not just athletes that can apply this, but non-athletes. Bybeth is an Australian edible beauty brand that celebrates local ingredients and sustainable practices. All of our formulations use 100% Australian bovine collagen, 
which is clinically proven to hydrate the skin from within, strengthen hair and nails, and support overall gut health. Grass-fed and pasture-raised, our collagen is of the highest quality available. We also use native Australian botanical extracts selected for their antioxidant properties. By turning our attention to the abundance of Australia, we support the local economy and have full transparency over our supply chain. Taking our collagen couldn't be easier. Simply add to your favourite drink, stir to dissolve and sip. At Bybeth, our biggest beauty inspiration is nature, so our packaging materials have been selected for their environmental credentials and minimal footprint. All of our products are plastic-free and our signature vessel is refillable. We invite you to welcome in a new ritual and watch your beauty abound. And you can see it all the time, even as a non-athlete, watching sport played out on the TV. You know, right now it's all about the World Cup, the Soccer World Cup. But you see players like Ash Barty in the 2019 French Open coming from behind. Or you can see even the switch players who are winning. For instance, Australia in the in the first game against France, they were winning. That as soon as France scored a goal, you could just see the entire team just deflated. You know, and that is really comes down to mindset. Is that what you agree? Like it really was that mindset change of we've got this, but then the negative chatter came in and the fear of failure and the self-doubt came in and that yeah. was very reflective in their performance. Yeah. yeah. So I guess in that heat of the moment, they've got to really have that mindset coaching in terms of how knowing to individually switch their mindset in the heat of the moment. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. To redirect it to the right thing. And when people are at their absolute best, and this is across the board, you are just focused on the here and now. What I need to do right now to be my best is the process. Right. To focus on that only. As soon as we our mind moves to, and if a situation or a circumstance happens like what happened in the um, the football, the first game Australia and France. As Are you watching it, it? I'm curious. I'm watching a bit of it. <laughs> as, as it gets but you're closer not studying it But as soon as something and outside influence happens, then the mindset shifts to go, oh, oh, they just scored. And all of a sudden, the mindset starts to move to, oh, oh, what happens, fear of failure? What happens if we lose this game? We were in front. Oh, we've stuffed this up. Oh, please don't do it. And then it also moves to results. Oh my God, what, we were desperate for results. We really need to get this result. It's now 1-1. What are we going to do? Do we have to try and we've got to score a goal? And that's something you talk about a lot in the book. This is the results focus versus the skills focus. Is that is that the, the process? The process yep. and um, keeping that mindset on the process and not looking at that scoreboard. Yeah. Was it Ricky Ponting you were talking about who always had the goal of 150 instead of 100 runs rather than focusing on on the hundred? And that's it. And it's something you can see even you know if these world class sportsmen competing at world class levels are still having these mindset problems. It's almost like you know you think uh, you know how are we going to apply this to our everyday life? But like you said, it really is applicable whether you're, you know, no matter what you're doing, whether you're chasing a career or you're chasing a sport. And, you know, I can see it in my son too, which is what I wanted to ask you about is how do you apply this to to children? You know, it's particularly when obviously trying to communicate and ask them questions about their mindset is incredibly hard. Yeah. Um, I, I know Hugo before COVID, he was one of the most confident kids and, you know, particularly on the sport field and his confidence was something that he was quite well renowned for. And he had that fearless tactic that you had. And he just didn't even think about the consequences of how hard that ball is going. Or if I'm jumping up and doing a bicycle kick, you know, I could quite possibly break my shoulder. That's what I'm thinking on the sidelines. He never had that thought. But COVID's really instilled in him this lack of confidence and this fear of failure and this self-doubt. And he's coming out with conversations now that I didn't hear from him two years ago, you know, about, you know, this team, they're really going to beat us today, or I don't think I can do this, or it's all a lot of negativity. Mm. And when he hops off the field, it's a lot of criticism. And I know that's something else you talk about as well is 
is finding that balance between um, post-match uh, critiquing yep. and not criticizing yourself in order yep. to maintain a, a positive mindset. But what's your advice to parents, I guess? You know, I, I can guarantee you I'm not alone here. You know, they would have seen a, a COVID mindset shift or even if they haven't seen a COVID mindset shift, just how do you apply this to kids? How do you get the best mindset from them and make sure that we don't repeat or they don't repeat the pitfalls that you had in terms of waiting until halfway through your career to really get this amazing mindset coaching? So because of what I know now, I think it's meant my parenting's changed to what it would have been. If I just kept doing what I was doing before I was 34, before I learned this information, my parenting would have been very different to what it is now. Because even like something as simple as my, my son is like loves cricket and, and is right into it. Yeah, he loves it. <laughs> um, and, and for me now, and this is across the board and anything that he does and my daughter does, it's all around making sure that anything, any any message that I reinforce and my wife reinforces is all around how how hard you've worked, how hard you've worked, how hard you've tried. That's the reason why you've given yourself the best chance, not and and also around results. If they have a really good day, which which they do, or if they have a bad day, it's not changing my emotions at all when they've had a really good day to a not a good day. Because then they'll tie in, well, my 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 dad like loves me more. Well, he's celebrating because I won and he's not celebrating now. That's right. I and he's lost, sort of yeah. like, he's, he's annoyed at me that I didn't perform today. So just like unconsciously, they start to think about, well, God, results are really important. That's that's really important to hear. And I'm it's something I'm trying very consciously, very careful about what I say to him post-match. But probably you are right. I'm probably more enthusiastic when he's won mm. than when he's lost. So that's actually a very good point because, it's, yeah, I didn't quite realize the impact of that. Mm. He's very self-critical himself. So I very much realize my job as a mum is to stop him from being so self-critical yeah. and to take the focus off a loss, you know, which I normally redirect. <laughs> let's go to the beach yeah, yeah. or let's go get an ice cream yeah. or something yeah. like that. But it really is very applicable to all age groups, very, very, everything that you're teaching in there. But yeah. that's why I highly recommend it to parents as well because mm. I read your book and it was it made me really rethink how I'm dealing with Hugo and perhaps how I can help him turn his mindset around because it is quite sad to see someone that was very, very, very confident, you know, forget his skill. He just was so happy to run out on that field and give it his everything. Yeah turn into a child who is not the most confident. And it actually makes sense to me now because the last year his performance has been very, very off. And I've been trying to work out why, and but very much trying not to ask Hugo why, because yeah. I very conscious was like, I don't want to create an issue here. Yeah. But it's only just dawned on me. And then reading your book really made me realize, I think is actually the whole, the mindset for him from, yeah. from COVID. So I think we've got some homework to do, Hugo and I, in terms of just helping sit down together and work out how to get rid of that negative chatter and turn it into a positive chatter. Yeah. yeah. So again, it's just understanding, it's identifying what in a really, in a nice way, in a, in a, in a positive way, what didn't go exactly to plan and what, what can you do over the next little while? What can you work on something just to give yourself a better chance of it not happening again? It doesn't mean it's not going to happen again, yes. but it's, it's again, it's, it's always just w what happened? Why, why did it, like, why did it happen? But not really making a big, like big song and dance about it. And then just saying, okay, well, just means just gotta, we've got to work a little bit harder or you've got to work a little bit harder on this. But the biggest thing when it really comes down to it is as soon as people um, are able to let go of the result and just go out there and let their skill and have fun and let their skill go, like let their skill just be on display. Yes, that's always when people are at their absolute best. When they they're fearless, they're really enjoying what they're doing, and they're just they're just tapping into their unconscious mind. They're letting all their skills that are so deeply ingrained, whether you're whether you're five or whether you're fifty five. 
just letting all that ingrained um, skill that you got inside, you just let it let it happen. And I guess is one thing I love that you talk about a lot, and you talk about a lot in your podcast as well, Lessons Learned with the Greats, where you speak with a lot of extremely successful cricketing legends. There's a very common theme there around visualization. Talk me through this process. How does it work? And is this something also you think young athletes should be utilizing in terms of remembering that day when they, you know, managed to score this or do that? You know, how does visualization work, you know, from young to old? Yeah, it's something that I wish I tapped into um, during, well, during a, a long part of my playing days. And some guys that I played with not knowing, because <laughs> I didn't ask them the questions, they were very good at imagery as well. And there's a difference, like there's a really simple difference between visualization and imagery. Imagery is like all your senses coming in. It's the feeling, right. feeling it, not just like seeing it through your own eyes. It's actually feeling what it feels like to be able to do, like do that action. I have to visualize, when visualize is more just seeing it through your own eyes. So Matt Hayden was someone who used to do it. I didn't really understand why he did it, but he used to, before every test match, he used to sit on the pitch the day before a test match for 45 minutes, just sit there with his bat and he'd be just visualizing what, uh, what was going to happen. But because you didn't understand, is that right? He got paid out quite a bit. Oh, yeah, he got, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he, he did. He, people just go, God, what's, he's got his shoes off or is he like, like earthing himself or something? Who knows? But I didn't understand the power of it, again, yeah. until Jacques educated me on it. But the, the power of, of visualization and imagery is it's starting to tap into your unconscious mind. So it's starting to, if you're learning a new skill, for example, if you are visualizing, if you're imagining you actually doing it, it starts to build those neural pathways. It's even without you having to go and physically do it, it's starting to build them. Yes, they aren't really strong, but it's starting to build those those movement patterns, which is hard to get your head around that's po- that that's possible. But it wasn't until I did the um, Jacques took me through the pendulum exercise, which is in my book as well, which made me realize how incredibly powerful the unconscious mind is. So what, you, is, what is so the pendulum? pendulum exercise is you've just got a, a chain with a like a, a, a weight at the end of the chain. Like you're about to be hypnotized. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's it, it is it's like a hypno it's a hypnosis tool. It's a hypnosis exercise. And in the end, the pendulum is if you do it correctly, you allow, Jacques was telling me, I move the pendulum. Don't, don't move it physically, but just imagine the pendulum moving from left to right. And by imagining the pendulum moving left to right, it started to move left to right, gradually, slowly move from left to right. And then like stop. Imagine there's a magnet under the middle of the pendulum and it starts to stop, starts to slow down. And then imagine the pendulum starts move, moving in a clockwise direction and you're imagining it and it starts to happen. Okay, I need to try so, that. so it's it's a, a simple hypnosis technique, but it makes you realize that tapping into your how powerful your unconscious mind is. So as soon as my mind starts to think about don't make a mistake, don't do this, don't don't stuff up, then your unconscious mind just starts to go, well, I can, I'll take you there. That's, you know, and that's there's the a lot of science of behind it now. And yep. I've been reading, I, I think it was Dr. Whiteley in America, and he took the Apollo science that they were doing um, and they put, he used it with the Olympic athletes in America mm-hmm. and they studied their biofrequency. They compared it to when they were closing their mind and just visualizing and running through their event in their mind <laughs> versus to the biofrequency, what happens when they're actually physically running the event and they were the same. So it's not just, there's a lot of people that may not believe in this sort of thing, yeah. but there's a lot of science out there now yeah. supporting this and the unconscious mind and the power behind the visualization. So it's 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 new to me, but I'm reading a lot about it and I'm finding it really incredibly fascinating. But why is it not applied more universally to athletes is what I want to know. It is to a point, but it's still there's like the the mental skill side of, of things is it's new. Yeah, it's it's new. It it, it is 
pretty much an untapped resource. Yes, there's some there's some leaders out there who who are pushing the limits for for athletes out there, but it's not readily available to to the masses. It's more so a select few who are at the absolute elite, at the pinnacle of what they're doing. They get access to this t- kind of information. This stuff pushing the limits of how good you can be and the power of the mind yeah. that you are in control of should be done in the classroom. Sh- that's exactly right. It should be accessible to everyone. Yes. Because there are, like for me, there's two life skills, which are probably the most important life skills that we don't get taught at school, which blows my mind that we're not. One is financial literacy. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Which is ridiculous that that's not taught because that's one of the biggest issues in society and the stress and anxiety and worry around not understanding that. But the other thing is mental skills. Yes. Is understanding how your mind works. So then from a young age, you start developing really good, strong mental skills habits. So you get closer and closer to mastering your mind from a younger age. And that just blows me away why those two things aren't taught at school. So that's why I'm starting partly the mental skills journey to gradually um, get it down to as many people as possible. Well, I really hope you do because I, like I said, talking about Hugo, the last two years have made it very evident to me just how much we all need it, but particularly the kids. So- Another thing you talk about a lot is regrets. You talk about regrets on your podcast and the regret of not enjoying yourself enough in your early career. Mm. What did you mean by this? Because surely you were having a great time with all the wins. What I meant is more, I put so much pressure on me to be the best I possibly could be. Well, not to be the best I could be. It was more so I put so much pressure on me to be able to be someone else. As in, I wanted to be, growing up, I wanted to be Keith Miller. Was it expectation from other people as well? No, it was mainly me. Yourself. It was me. I just I wanted to be Keith Miller, who was the best all rounder Australia's ever had. He was that good, and I just put that much pressure on myself. That that's what I wanted to be. And when I didn't perform, when I didn't get the results that I that I was that I was wanting, I just it just kept. It's like a snowball. It kept putting more and more pressure. I'm obviously not work harding, uh, working hard enough. I'm obviously not. I'm not making enough sacrifices. What do I need to do? And that just meant that I just did not enjoy what I was doing as much, well, nowhere near as much as would, yeah, if if I had a really good day or my team did, yeah, I, I'd really enjoy that. But outside of that, I was not enjoying it at all because I just put so much pressure on myself because I was so obsessed with results. Yeah. And it wasn't until I understood for me to get the best results that I possibly can, all I need to do is focus on what I can control and bringing the best version of me to every single moment. If I did that, then I'm giving myself the best chance of getting the results that I'm looking for. And the weight of pressure that was taken off me as soon as I realized that at 34 meant that I finally really, every moment I started to really enjoy, even in the most intense battle, I was really enjoyed being a part of it instead of suffocating myself because I was so desperate for results, which meant I just don't get out, don't make a mistake, don't stuff up, which means you just go into your shell. I think I can really relate also to the sports field now with young athletes. And you can see one of the reasons why the coaches are always saying don't sideline coaches because you can see these parents that are putting so much pressure (laughs) on the kids is you have to win today or this happens. (laughs) You know, I'm very conscious with Hugo. We don't even look at the ladder. We have no idea where the the team is. But he is like you. He puts it all on himself. So that's interesting. I have to make sure I help him, I guess, train himself out of that because that's the last thing you want. If you've done something so successfully as yourself, you want to be able to actually enjoy the moment and be present in the moment. But perhaps also the pressure on yourself is something that helped you be so successful it from did. the beginning. Well, it, it did. It, it certainly did because it meant that I put, I worked my absolute butt off. I did not leave any stone unturned at all. So that certainly is was the fuel to me just doing everything I possibly could. Yes. But there's a balance between pushing the limits to how good you can be and leaving no stone unturned, but also then letting go of the results. So your results driven, you're not results obsessed. 
Which is leads me into my next question, talking about the balance between mental skills and technical skills. Mm. You know, where is that balance? Does one take priority over the other or is it really about finding the balance between the two? For me, now understanding, it, once you get to a certain skill level and proficiency and yeah, like if you want to, if you want to be the best at whatever you want to do, you've got to get to a certain proficiency of your skill and knowledge and understanding. Yeah. But then if you've got everyone on the same on the same skill level, then it's all around your mindset. So that extra layer level and how far you can push it and how consistently good you can be at that higher level, that's all around mindset and being able to repeat or access all those skills that you got every single time that you go out. So your mindset, it just they go they go hand in hand. You you need to be able to work really hard to have those skills and that knowledge ingrained in you. But then you need to also know how to get out of your own way to be able to access it every single time as well. So it really is, for me, as much as people working on their technical skills, they need to be doing the exact same amount of work on their mental skills, mental side of it, so then they can master both sides of it. That's something I really love when I'm reading biographies on, um, you know, really famous sportsmen in any field, doesn't matter, you know, Michael Jordan, they talk about their mindset quite a lot and their visualization process and what was running through their mind. And it just really becomes apparent, like you said, and for your own case, that the mindset is just as important as the technical skills. You obviously need the technical skills, but without the mindset, you're going to have a lot of failure. So my last one, very easy one, your favorite memory, your favorite memory in your cricketing career, what would it be? My favorite memory? Um, from an Aussie cricket perspective, my favourite memory was the, the 2015 World Cup win um, here at home. That was something that since I was from On the home first- ground. Yeah, home ground, the yeah. MCG. That was something as, I think it might have been 20, when I was 22 or 23, it got announced in 2015. So that might have been like, that was 2004, 2005 got announced. Then in 2015, Australia's got a home World Cup. And so I knew I'd be 34 at that stage. I was like, oh God, imagine being able to still be playing and playing well enough to be there and then win a World Cup at home would just be like you just can't can't imagine I was just no so that, that was always like the, that's something we that all dream always, about yeah. you know no matter what sort of field you're in I just be on that podium winning a world cup on the home ground yeah that's just something that we've uh we all dream about experiencing yeah so that was that was easily yeah, the most special moment because then you know 90,000 people being MCG with most most being Aussie fans and then for us to win it and then just walking around the ground after it, that's a moment where you just wish you could pause and stay for a, a fair bit longer. Yeah, so that's what you should visualise about. That's it. Yeah. Thank <laughs> you so much, Shane. I really appreciate your time. Thank you for coming. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And you can buy Shane's book at shanewatson.au. Thanks for listening to the With Beth podcast. For show notes and more information about today's podcast and by Beth, head to www.bybeth.com.